0: With that, the church said, "Amen, amen." We'll go ahead and grab a seat. Is that not the most incredible song? I feel like it hits all of the things, right? I mean, I'm so thankful for poets and artists who make the truths about God come alive. And this song, right? It, leans us in to this God who's alive and active and actually wants to change our lives. And it's written in such a way that it stirs our emotion and kind of fires us all up, right? And so we have this like this effort that we're like, you showed up at church, you're singing this song, and this, the way the music is, right, it kind of begins to build your expectation a little bit. You're like, gosh, maybe God could show up. And some of you guys are like, God totally showed up and away we go and it's a self-fulfilling thing that happens to you. Some of you like God's kind of like been distant, kind of maybe hosed you a little bit. And so you're like, we'll see, right? Well, what I love about this song and about coming to church is, in some sense, it's like the best commercial ever, right? That's what commercials do. Commercials basically say, hey, if you put in some effort and energy, if you actually have some open-heartedness and buy this product or do this thing, your life is going to be changed forever. Now, I'm going to step out on a little bit of a limb here, and uh, my email is ben at marinecovenant.org, but I think that (laughs) faith is very similar to gambling. I don't know if any of you guys are gamblers out there. Don't clap or anything, because I want to. Um, <laughs> but I think there's something incredible about gambling that's actually a little bit similar. And uh, have you ever seen the lotto commercials? Whenever the lotto commercials come in, I am mesmerized. I mean, look at this lotto, this billboard. Believe in something bigger. How's that for captiv- captivating, right? Who doesn't want to believe in something bigger? And when you start talking about $100 million, you're like, yes, I will believe in something bigger. Now. I'm a little bit older, and so I've definitely spent my years of you know, throwing down the five spots trying to get in on the lotto, and I've put in the effort, I've been excited, and, uh, and I've not yet won, right? And so, we, and so the end result is, gosh, this isn't probably the best use of my time or money, right? I'm gambling, I have this effort, I have this expectation, the end result is it's not quite working out for me. But there is a threshold, $600 million, right? Everyone kind of has their own threshold, but when the lotto gets to $600 million, why would I not give the Lord a chance? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, think of the ministry I could do, Lord. Like, if I'm just sitting on the sidelines, I'm gonna miss out on this potential opportunity. So 600 million is my threshold. You may have a higher threshold or a lower threshold or trust God in different ways, but I'm like, at 600 million, I'm just thinking I'm gonna give the Lord a chance, right? So that's my threshold. Um, but I thought, why not uh, have some dopamine hits this morning? So I'm gonna my friend Anka. Anka, come on up here. I was getting gas this morning and, uh, and a guy in front of me bought one of these. And so I'm like, why not? the electric eights, right? Two bucks. Two dollars. I gave him my coffee for the potential dopamine hit. And here's Anka thinking, I just came to church, but there's a chance that Anka could win $30,000. That's worth the dopamine hit, right? All right. So Anka, I'm going to have you just unscratch those. There's 16 or uh, little lightning bolts. All she has to do is get three. Three eights. If she gets three eights, she gets another chance. But if she gets all eights, 30000 bucks for Anka, and then she's going to tithe and I keep my job. It's going to be great. So how are we doing so far? Two eights so far? Two eights, there's a few more to go. A lot of symbols, not a lot of eights. Two eights? Not even three eights? Well, that's lame. Sorry, Anka. Well, that's for you. You can keep that. You're going to want to remember this for the, for the day. She's like, no, why would, you, why would you do that to me? Two eights. That's okay. Sorry, Anka. No one won second service, I mean, first gathering either. But what's so crazy is for that 10 seconds, right? There's a chance, right? There's some effort. There's like, what's $2, right? So a little bit of energy, a little bit of expectation. And what are the chances? And because we really want, wouldn't it be great to win 30,000 bucks? Well, I, like I said, I compared it to our faith because in some sense that really is what the faith journey is about. We, we, we have some expectation, we have some effort, and because of our life story, because of our life experiences, we're, we, we either are winners, and we feel like, yes, God, you're in, it, you're in it, or we've been really busted up and broken down. And we're like, I'm not so sure about all this. Well, what I love about what we're going to be doing this fall is we're going to be looking at the, the call, this life of discipleship. And what's so incredible is that the way that Jesus meets us is super individual. Like, it would be one thing if Jesus met with every single person and gave them the same application and then we would know what to do. But instead, he meets with every single person, encounters every single person in a totally different way. Which means that Jesus actually longs to connect with you, to meet you exactly who you are, the way that you're wired, in the way that makes sense to you. And so what we're gonna talk about today is this idea that proximity to Jesus is the call, that if we want to have our lives changed by Jesus then we have to live in this tension. We actually have to put in some effort to be in proximity to Jesus. We actually have to open up our heart and have some sort of expectation or faith that's gonna happen. And then we have to wrestle with the end result. Sometimes that working out the way we want it to, sometimes it not working out the way we want it to, but figure out how does that shape our entire faith. So all fall, we're gonna be looking at what it means to be a disciple. And here's a common definition for us. And it says this, a disciple is somebody who follows, learns from, And lives like Jesus. So, without even putting effort in, you can't be a disciple if you don't put any effort in. You can be a learner. You can watch every YouTube there is to watch. You can stream every sermon that there is to uh, to stream. You can do every devotion there. you You can do all those things. But at the end of the day, a disciple is someone who puts the effort in to become to follow, to learn, and to live like Jesus. And this is the hard part. This means conforming our words and our ways to the words and ways of Jesus. That's the hard part of this discipleship journey is it's not just learning from, but it's actually making space for God to conform us, to mold us and shape us into the words and ways of Jesus. So if you're here last week, we looked at the rich young ruler, and that was pretty thick. That was a hard sermon, and uh, I'm still wrestling with some of those things. This morning, we're going to look at a different encounter, which I think is just as powerful. And in fact, this is my favorite story in all of scripture. I can't tell um, if it's just the encounter, if it's because uh, the person that Jesus encounters is this short, fat little Jewish guy, which is my like, self-perception. I, I asked my mom to show me this picture. I, there's this picture of my dad when he was seven, going off to Hebrew school in black and white, and he's this little, short, pudgy jewish guy with his yarmulke and i'm like that is like the kern's dna through and through and uh and so when i when i hear the story that's what i imagine I'm like oh this is my guy the way of who he is of what he does and how jesus sees him and how his life has changed i'm like this is my guy so what i'd love for you to do is grab a bible and turn to luke chapter 19 if you have a, a bible in front of you, you yell at the number so those of us who are a little less familiar or can't get there fast enough know what page to find What page, Bruce? 108.6. Luke 19, 108.6. This is the story of Zacchaeus. All right, it says this. So Jesus enters Jericho as he was passing through. So this is a story. Jesus is on his way, um, you know, moving on from place to place. He's in Jericho, which is this giant city. He's passing through. He's not there to do any work. He's not there to be all intentional. He's not doing tier one ministry. He is just passing through. Well, then there's a man there by the name of Zacchaeus. Now Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector and he was wealthy. Now he's not a tax collector like Matthew. Matthew was a tax collector. He was just a normal Jewish guy who was a tax collector. And anyone, it didn't matter if you were a normal tax collector or a chief tax collector, you were despised. You were despised by the Romans because you were part of this weird ethnic sect. And so the Romans were like, we don't want anything to do with you, but we need you to take money from the Jewish people so that we can fund our government. And the Jewish people hated them. Right, because they're being oppressed by the Romans. And here's your countrymen who are basically taking money from you to fund this oppression. So the tax collectors, low person on, like no one liked them, right? So not only was he a tax collector, he was the chief tax collector. And it's an understatement to say that he was wealthy. And he was wealthy because basically he abused his position and took just plenty of money from people. Well, it says he wanted to see Jesus, but because he was short, so it doesn't say he was fat. I guess I just imagined that, right? But (laughs) because he was short, He could not see over the crowd. And so he ran ahead and he climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. And what is fascinating is adults don't climb trees, right? That's what kids do. And so imagine being this wealthy tax collector, the chief tax collector. You, You may not be noble, but you at least want to pretend you live in the noble class. And you have so much interest in this person of Jesus. There's this giant crowd that you've heard so much about this that you want to figure it out so that you end up climbing this tree. So he climbs this tree, and when Jesus reached the spot, Jesus looks up and says to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. And so he came down, and at once he welcomed him gladly. Now all the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be a guest of a sinner. And if you can imagine, right, all the people that Jesus is collecting, he's collecting the poor and the broken down, the oppressed, right, the, the marginalized, he's collecting, you know, the 99%, right? He's collecting them and caring for them. And all of a sudden, Jesus goes, whoa. Zacchaeus, I see you and I'm going to your house today. Not only was it against Jewish law, but it for sure was against the vibe that Jesus was working on here. Well, then Jesus says to him, "Oh, sorry, but Zacchaeus uh, stood up and he said, Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. What I love is Jesus, I mean, Zacchaeus, right? He takes his effort. It took effort to not only track down Jesus, to go to the crowd, to climb a tree, right? That was all putting effort in. And if you've ever put effort in, the more effort you you put in something, the more you kind of get interested, the more you get excited, the more you get expected that maybe there's something about this. Even as a broken down person, like there's still some expectation. He gets this expectation and Jesus sees him and transforms him. And the end result, without even any prompting from Jesus, his life has changed. And then Jesus says to him, today, salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. What's interesting is Zacchaeus was basically excommunicated from his group of people because of his position. And he knows in his guts, he's a child of Abraham. He's circumcised, he's done all the right thing, but he fully basically walked away. And Jesus sees him and says, remember who you are. You are made in my image. You are a child of Abraham. Abraham. Now, it'd be so cool if Jesus showed up for us that way, but he doesn't, he, he, he's invisible. But we just know that through theology and through the testimony of the church, that we know that God desperately loves his people. And he longs for us, not to you generically, but you individually, he longs to adopt you in to be a daughter and son of the king. Now, before you think, gosh, if only Jesus would show up in a miraculous vision and say that to me, then I would be all in. And it'd be great if that was the case. But we know through all the testimony of scripture that all the people who had the front row seat To God, Whether it was in the Exodus who saw all the ways that God um, redeemed them and all the miracles they did ended up being grumbling and turning back from God and God actually had to punish them for an entire generation. Or all these people who saw the front row of Jesus moving and having his way and healing people, they saw it all and still ended up walking away. So I just wanna just throw that out there that if you're like, unless I see it, I'm not gonna believe it. Just know seeing it doesn't necessarily do that. But there is this posture of faith and in that posture of faith, The end result is that God has grabbed a hold of people throughout all of history and we get the testimony and we're in that stream. For the son of man, Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. Isn't that good news? No matter who you are, no matter where you've been, no matter what's going on with you, the son of man has come to seek and to save the lost. He didn't come to punish us. He didn't come to crack the whip on us. He came to seek us, to find us, to adopt us in as daughters and sons to seek and save the lost. So we're going to jump in this. So the question is, who is this Jesus? What I love is Zacchaeus, he knows there's this big crowd. There's a rumor going on. There's something that's happening. And Jesus, wherever he goes, he causes this stir. I mean, right? He pushes back on religious leaders. He's healing people. He's even offering free food. I mean, we have tacos. We're doing the same thing. We're, like, we're going to be like Jesus. Tacos brings people, right? Jesus did all that, right? That's how he knows what's going on. So there's this crowd around him. And if you've ever been around a crowd or around a group of people, it, it actually takes effort to be from the outside of the crowd to actually get in and to see what's going on. Um, my dad lives in San Francisco, and for as long as I've been alive, especially since I've been driving, I've had to drive from Novato to San Francisco to see my dad, and I have to drive through Golden Gate Park, through Market Street to get to his side of town, and which means... Every now and then there's something crazy happening in San Francisco, something crazy happening in Golden Gate Park, something crazy happening on Market Street. And uh, in the good old days before cell phones, you're just like, what's going on? My dad's going to be mad at me because I'm late. And, uh, and you have no idea what's happening. But now with cell phones, you can be like, what is happening? So here we are, we're driving to Golden Gate Park, Like, what in the world is happening? Well, it turns out Outside Lands is happening. And my son's like, how do you not know Outside Lands is happening? Everybody knows that's happening. I'm like, okay, I didn't know. But it, it's impossible because the whole world descended for this giant music festival, right? One time we were driving, like, what is happening? It was like this random Tuesday, the president was there. Whoa, the president, that's awesome. Um, We we took youth group kids once and we drove, we got stuck and we didn't know it was 420. Who knew that April 20th was a thing? Well, in San Francisco, (laughs) the whole place was shut down. We could not get from here to there, right? But now you're on the phone, you're like, okay, this is what's happening. Now, what's interesting is I am somebody who wants to get somewhere. So there's this crowd, there's this ruckus, there's all this stuff happening. I want to get somewhere. And, uh, and what ends up happening is I miss it. So that if you're going to actually see what's happening, if you're going to actually want to experience the music, if you're going to want to meet, see the president, you actually have to take some effort to get from point A to point B. And the more effort you put in, the more expectant you become to hopefully encounter something that all the crowd is experiencing. So the trick is that it turns out that proximity is the key to Jesus. If you want to figure out how to know and grow in your walk with Jesus, the trick is that you need to be in a place where Jesus can see you, where you can be seen by Jesus. And Zacchaeus, that is exactly what he did. He figured out he was in the outside of the crowd. He did whatever it took to get into the crowd, to climb up a tree so that Jesus could see him. So proximity is the key. And you guys did it, right? You showed up, you're here in church today, which means you've already done the first step. You've made this effort and attempt to say, okay, I want to figure out what this Jesus thing is all about. I want to figure out what this life of faith is all about. And then the second part of that whole equation is that we actually have to have this expectation that we need to be people of faith. And for there's this really weird, delicate dance about being people of faith, um, how in the world do you lean in and trust God? And there's this kind of subjective feeling and and Force and weight, like like it's hard to get your head around. But you have to lean in in some sort of way. Imagine this: you go on your very first date, and uh, and you you know you you do your hair and you, you 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 wax your eyebrows and you do all the important things. That's what I would do on my first date. But you know you do the first date, you do all the effort, all the energy to look so beautiful, and then you go and you meet this person. This person shows up, but because right you've been hurt by past boyfriends or girlfriends, or you've been crushed, or you're too busy, or you're not paying attention, you've put in all this effort, but you have no expectation, your heart is just closed down and you end up missing out totally on this date. Or as you're getting your eyebrows waxed and you're, you know, doing all the things, every, everything you do is just building anticipation and excitement for this potential person that you're going to fall in love with. And unfortunately, when you get that excited, you don't even care who that person is. You're like, whoever sits in front of me, I'm going to fall in love with, right? <laughs> and so there is, there, there is attention. I totally get that. Well, in faith, it's the same way that we can't just show up, that we actually have to allow space for God to soften our heart. We have to open up the vault a little bit and say, okay, Lord, have your way with me. Now, I'm not going to lie, as I thought about this all week, I'm like, I actually am a little nervous because I'm a Christian, I'm a pastor, I'm a religious leader, and I know so many people who have been taken for really brutal rides by religious leaders in their past. And so what a dangerous thing to say, you just got to trust God. Trust me as I tell you about God. Like I get like, it causes some pause, and as a religious leader, it does cause some pause. What I love about the Christian story, though, is you see this, like, I love watching cult, uh, cult shows on Netflix because I'm mesmerized by cult leaders, right? Because they all feel like we covenant for the first episode. You're like, oh, boy. I'm, let's be honest. But you realize, you get a few sentences in, a few episodes in, and every religion, every cult that is anchored on a human being ends up... Just going super south. Humans cannot maintain it, right, for a long amount of time. And they all go south. They all have almost the exact same death and destruction track, right? And so I recognize that there is a ten- temptation or there's a tension there. But you, being a part of the Christian tradition, you are part of a legacy, a 3,000 year old faith legacy that has survived in every part of the world through every ethnicity, through every language, through every economic grouping of people, and the Holy Spirit has gathered Christians who have lived and thrived. So yes, there are versions of the church that are unhealthy, but the church has lived and moved and breathed and thrived for 3,000 years, this unique movement of God. How cool is that? What I love, Marine Covenant. Marin Covenant's been around for 50 years. We're not a flash in the pan. Our staff, a bulk of our staff, have been around for 15 to 20 years. That's a long time. You know we cannot fake it anymore, Right? <laughs> We are not a flash in the pan. And of course, we're going to make mistakes. Of course, we're going to make errors. But I think there's something to recognize. You can put effort in. You can actually have some expectation because you are with good people who are working this thing out. And it's okay to have some expectation because we are a part of a long, uh, a long trajectory of faithful, faithful people. And if and when we screw up, man, we're going to own it and walk with you through that. So proximity is the key. And you're already here. You've already done half the battle, so now it's just a matter of saying, okay, God, will you make space for the Holy Spirit to have your way in me? Will you make space so I can hear from you, be moved by you, be someone who follows, learns, and lives like Jesus? So here's just two questions as we wrap up our time together. The first question is, will you just simply put yourself in proximity what I love about Jesus is Jesus is always at work. He's always running after us. He is always at work. And all we have to do is basically, if we're willing to, to turn off our phones, to turn off our Netflix, to just simply be quiet for a minute. Oh my goodness, the Lord is just gonna come after us. And what I love is we all have different stories. This is just last week. Last week, so it's not like over the last six months. This is just last week at church. After church, I got to meet a number of people. I met this young family uh, this young mom who moved um, and they love God and they want their kids to love God. And they just know that raising kids is super hard and they want to know, gosh, is this a church? Is this a faith community where my kids can encounter Christ? I'm like, oh my goodness, jackpot. Have you met Stacey Mancini? Have you met our children's ministry team? You are in the right spot. Right? I met a woman who's like, oh my goodness, what you guys are doing with the foster care community is incredible. Now, let's be honest, we're in the very baby steps. So I'm like, listen, we're trying to enter that community, but we're moving there. She's like, well, whatever's happening in the foster care community, I want in. I'm like, done, let's, let's, let's make those connections. Right? There's, a, there's a man I met, which I was super surprised by. He's telling me a story. Every church for the last 20 years has just wronged him, hurt him, abused him, got between him and his marriage, crushed him. I'm like, oh boy, how are we hopefully not going to crush you, right? The Lord is obviously doing something. I'm like, okay, sit in the back for five years, whatever it takes. Like, I cannot believe that the Lord blessed us with such precious people in their whole journey. And then I had this, uh, this older gentleman who's been obviously known Christ for over 40 or 50 years. And he's like, oh my goodness, Ben, you really punched me in the gut this last week. I'm like, whoa. Someone who's like not figuratively spiritually, right? But... How incredible to be part of a church that even the person who's known Christ for their entire life, who is this anchor of the faith, who is like one of the pillars of our church, who's like, oh my goodness, I still want to know what it means to be a disciple of Christ. I still want to move towards Christ. Gosh, that was just yesterday or last week, right? You're gonna have tacos and you hear those stories. So that's it. Will you put yourself in proximity to Jesus? And then here's the last one. Will you simply put effort in and raise your own expectations? Like I said, you're here. That's half the battle. But will you now raise your expectations? Will you make space for the Holy Spirit to actually meet you where you are, to actually see you, to actually allow Jesus figuratively to come to your house and be open to whatever he has for you? He longs to do that. He's waiting for the invitation. So will you grow and raise your expectations? And listen, this is what I think is super fun. I am a broken-down Gen Xer from Eastern Europe, okay? I am like the most hard-hearted, cynical jerk on the planet, at my worst. But the truth is that the Lord totally grabbed a hold of me. And even in my Eastern European, mean-faced sort of way, the Lord's allowed my heart to even open up, to be soft-hearted, to be open-hearted so that the Holy Spirit can actually mold and shape and change me. Gosh, if the Lord can change me, a hard hearted Eastern European with lo- low emotional threshold, what in the world is He going to do for you, right? <sighs> so we hope that you jump in this journey of discipleship. You've already put in the effort. Let's raise our expectations. Let's find the freedom that the Lord has and be all that God has for us to be. Amen? Amen is what you say, Amen, back. Okay, all right, let's stand and continue to worship together.